Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everyone. See someone walking in right now? Yes, Brian. Brian? Let's all cheer when Brian comes in. Yay! <laughs> Good morning to all of you. See what happens when you come to Genesis. You get a, a warm welcome. So glad you guys can be here with us live and online. Uh, Let's pause, let's pray before we get started, and let's allow this time to be something that works in our lives, okay? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for an opportunity to be still, to still our minds from the busyness and some of the crazy things that are around us, and to be able to contemplate things that are are bigger and have influence in so many areas of life. And we pray, Lord, that that would take place here, that a deeper understanding of what is important would take root within us, that we would be able to give attention to you and to the things that last. And may our hearts find that direction that we need that will help us to find peace, guidance, and strength in our lives to pursue you and the things that matter. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Randy. Good morning again. Uh, Really, the only announcement uh, we have right now, actually a couple things we can uh, mention One, if you would like to help out in any area, like with tech development and learning how to do the sound and video, uh, we welcome that. If you'd like to help out with the kids, that would be great. Uh, Today, one of the teachers couldn't make it, and so we had to kind of put a pause on things. And so if you're interested in helping in some way, let us know. You can uh, get a hold of us online, or most of you have my number. You can call me or DM us on Instagram or Facebook someplace, we'll get it, um, if you're interested in that. And remember, we are here because of your uh, providing for us through the offerings that you give, and so we appreciate that. And you can go to thegenesisstory.com and give uh, that we can continue doing the things that we do and the things that we want to do in the future. And so uh, there they are, the areas where you can uh, go and give. So again, appreciate all those who have been doing this for the years and and even through this last few years as things have been so difficult. 
Well, we're continuing through the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter four and five today, but we have to look back and review a couple of things. And I think the first thing that we need to remember is that this is an ancient book and we have to look at it through ancient eyes. Otherwise, we will lose the intention of the book and we will get some convoluted ideas about what's being said that I think can cause more problems than good. Last week, I already mentioned, because we're going to be talking about Cain and Abel, and we talked about what has happened, that Cain and Abel helped us to see that the book of Genesis was not about the origin of man. Now, I know for a lot of us, that's what we've been just indoctrinated with. No, this is how everything began. But we saw that very famous idea, where did Cain get his wife? right? Not only did he get his wife somewhere, he wandered and started a whole city with a whole group of people that must have been there already. And so we see from the beginning that the intention of the book was not to tell us how mankind started, but it actually was a picture of Israel. It was helping us to understand what was going on. We also saw that there were things that were going on with Cain and Abel in the offerings that they presented to God that helped us to understand when this was written. And it was written after Leviticus because we see that there was an expectation of what kind of offering was to be given. Both the grain offering and the animal offering were in the book of Leviticus, but what was required was the first fruits. And we start to see that those things didn't show up in the offering, and that's why God was not pleased with Cain's offering. But how would they know that? Well, the readers would know that because of when it was written, it is looking backwards, and they're looking at it through their understanding of the law. Remember, the first five books in Genesis is part one of a five-part series. The majority of these five books takes place around Mount Sinai where Mount Sinai where they got their Mary correct me it's not Sinai that's what you take and poison yourself um, it's Sinai um, the majority of those these five books takes place at that time over 50 percent of these five books revolve around the giving of the law the building of the tabernacle, and that is why it is central to the whole theme of Genesis as well as going on. And, and so we are looking through that back and they are telling a story and we start to see that there is a lot being told. Now, there's so much more to these stories, but this trip that I'm taking through the book of Genesis is pointing out how we miss the bigger picture when we do not see these stories through ancient eyes. And hopefully that opens up more understanding to us as we look at this book. So turn with me to Genesis chapter four. We're gonna start in verse one and you can follow along online as well. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. 
Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the first fruits of soil as an offering. Some of the fruits, sorry, I added first, the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. There we see the first and we'd see the other. The Lord looked at favor with Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door, your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Again, in Exodus 13, verse 12, we read, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. This is something that the Lord is commanding them in Exodus. In Leviticus 23, verse 10, we see, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I am going to give you and you reap its harvest. Bring to the priests a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. The first, the first. It's supposed to be that which comes to you. You are supposed to give back in recognition that God is the one who has given to you. And it's telling us again that this story has some built-in Easter eggs in it right, that they were able to see and find, oh, there's the first, oh, we know where that is at. We know why that's there. And, And so we see God is giving this warning to Cain that sin is crouching at the door, desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, there is so much we can go through in these stories, but asking things like, didn't God know what Cain was going to do? when all this was happening? Or how did Cain hear the voice of God? Was it an audible voice? These kinds of questions are missing the point of the story. And those are always the questions I would ask. I mean, it sounds like God's just having this conversation with Cain. Like, hey, if you do this, like, what's going on here? But they're telling a story. They're trying to help us understand there's a point being made here. And we can talk about So many things. We can talk about the power of choice, and that is so central to the law. It was so central so that they would obey the law and find life. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, says, This day I will call heaven and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. This is an ongoing theme throughout the law, and we see it show up in the garden, and we see it show up here with Cain and Abel. Make the right choice. You have the responsibility to make this choice, and whatever you choose is going to produce your future. So choose wisely, because there's opportunity here for both life and death. These stories have Israel written all over them. Remember how Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. We're going to see now that Cain is exiled from his family and from God's presence. 
We also saw last week in Proverbs how they mirrored the garden story, how that if you were to fear the Lord, that was the beginning of wisdom, that they were to obey God, not to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not that God doesn't want us to know good and evil. It's obeying God is more important than the knowledge we gain. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that wisdom then is like a tree of life, Proverbs tells us. And so we see this mirror of the garden showing up in Proverbs and showing up throughout the Hebrew scriptures. In Proverbs, right after we're told how great wisdom is in chapter one, verses one through seven, we move into this warning about murder. It says, the son who is being instructed in Proverbs is warned to give, not to give in to sin, specifically not to go along with those sinners who entice him to come with us and lie in wait for blood. And let us ambush the innocent. Now, why is it talking about murder and talking about wisdom? Of all the things to talk about at the beginning, why murder? Because the story of Cain and the wisdom sayings of Proverbs are two versions of the same story. They are rehearsing these things over and over again. Be wise by following God's commands and you get life. Be foolish by rejecting God's commands and you get death. Failure to follow wisdom has lethal consequences, not only personally, but socially. And so with Adam and Eve, we see this idea of this is going to affect you. With Cain and Abel, we see this is going to affect us others as well. And we see that there is no autonomy in humanity that does not affect the whole. You do not do something that does not affect the whole of creation. You reap what you sow And we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And we are to love our neighbor as ourself. All these things are woven together because it's how life is put together. And the law is warning them, don't you see this will not only affect you, as in this story of Adam and Eve, but this will also affect how you interact with one another in this story with Cain and Abel. You know, the, the Jewish people didn't look at their society and say, you know, the thing that marks us is the great things that we built. Well, they later did with Solomon in the temple and with their armies. That was boasted about then. But their legacy isn't their architecture, isn't their military power. Their legacy is their law. And that's what they were to be governed by because that was to teach them how to interact with people and with one another. And even as last week we saw that, or I think it was two weeks ago or so, we saw that there are these jabs at the Babylonians and how they saw things and now they are retelling the story of how they see things. This is central to who they are this giving of the law, this understanding of the law, and it's going to affect how they interact with the world and with each other. 
The story continues in Genesis 4, verse 10. The Lord said, this is after Cain took his brother out, killed him because he is mad at him. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. That is just such a powerful verse. I mean, it just, it again connects life to the earth itself, to creation. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wander on the earth. This sounds familiar, right? In Genesis 3, talking to Adam, it says, Curses to the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it, and it will produce thorns and thistles. There, there's this similar consequence to this. They did this, they reaped this, you did this, you reaped this, like father, like son. And we then read about Cain's sons. It goes on to give a little, okay, so Cain is a wanderer. He goes and he starts this whole city. In verse 17, Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then builder, building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehulah, I think. And Mehulah was the father of Methuselah. And Methuselah was the father of Lamech. And so we start to go down this road of Cain, who went to this place, found a wife, built a city, had kids, and he's starting this whole life. In verse 19, it says that Lamech married two women, the first polygamist here we see, one named Ada and the other Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, which comes from jubilation. He was the father of all who played string instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, which I think sounds cool, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nema. Remember, Cain was supposed to be a wanderer, and instead he builds a city for his son Enoch. The idea of building cities in this ancient time was something that the gods did. They, they were responsible for establishing civilizations. And now here is Cain wandering far from what he was supposed to do and kind of taking this matter into his own hands. Verse 23, it says, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. He'd like to talk in the third person. Hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Interesting. Like father, like great-grandson. While his sons were busy inventing tools and musical instruments, Lamech was killing men, just like his great-great-grandfather Cain did. And he arrogantly thinks he can force God's hand by saying, if Cain was protected in his murderous ways, so will I be even more. The story leaves off there abruptly, but we are left thinking to ourselves, who does this guy think he is? being able to command God that he has to do the same thing that happened with Cain. We're also given a pretty strong hint 
that the line of Cain is majorly screwed up. They got some serious issues going on here. And the descendants are moving further and further from God's ways. And the family tree of Israel does not include Cain's family, which now is a problem because there was only Cain and Abel, and Abel's dead. So if there's no Cain, where is the nation going to come from? Ha, glad you asked that. Verse 25, Adam made love to his wife again. And she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. How'd you like to be that kid, have to live in those shoes? Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At the time, people began to call, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, this is a crucial part of our story, because even though the line of Seth is going to have its share of problems, it will lead us to Abraham, the father of Israel and the people of Yahweh. And so here where it says that at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord, it is connecting them to their identity. This is going to lead us to Abraham, to Jacob, Israel, and this is who we are. In chapter five, we start with a bunch of names, and I'm not going to read them for fear of embarrassing myself going through that. And you start thinking, you know, why do I have to read all these names? I can't even remember all my cousins. How am I supposed to remember these people's family, right? It's something that seems like, why is this here? And even though we might find it boring or a difficult read, and if you really want to go, go to Chronicles. I think Second Chronicles is like the first, man, there's just like nine chapters of names. Like, talk about a snooze. Especially at that time, this was important. And we do find interest in our family, especially if there's something scandalous or someone famous, right? Yeah, my father, you know, was on, you know, he's related to Babe Ruth or something like that. And it's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, no one else plays baseball, but hey, they did, you know. We like to know about our history. It's intriguing to us, and even more so with them especially because it is trying to connect to people who have gone through exile, been brought back, and identify them to who they are, the people of Yahweh. These names remind Israel that they are part of a family tree whose roots are firmly planted in a relationship with their creator and their redeemer. And that's why we see that. And this is the second time we see this idea of a genealogy. And remember, this is how they marked the transitions of the book. They didn't do it through chapters. They did it through genealogies. And so when they would say, okay, these are the names of these people, that's marking their way of saying something else is going on. It's also a way of moving the story forward. You know, when you're watching a movie and there's a scene, there's a car accident, and then everything goes dark, and then it says 10 years later. Right? This is in chapter six, we're like 200 years later or so from chapter four, and chapter five is how we get there. 
okay? Just a bunch of names. And now, a few hundred years later, we've got the story continuing. Genealogies are like a map, making sure we know that the story is headed down Seth's line now because we've left Cain's line. It is the line of Adam through Seth that is close to God, not the line through Cain that gives us people who are arrogant and murderous. And that's going to play a role as we go on even to Noah. You're always going to get the villain, the people who are enemies, and you're going to get us, the people who have God as our Lord. And so in this chapter, there's a bunch of names and how long people lived, which is always interesting. I think, John, we were talking about this before. Why are people living 900 years plus, right? Methuselah lived 969 years. I think he was the oldest. He's got the record. And it's kind of like, well, what's going on? And what some people have tried to do is take these names and through them see how old the earth is going back to Adam. But remember, this story isn't trying to tell us about the beginning of humanity. It's telling us about the beginning of Israel. It might help us to know that other areas in that world, the neighbors of Israel also used extended dates right, to explain how people, how long people lived. The Sumerian king list, which is at the same time as this, they talked about kings reigning for 65,000 years. That's pretty good. That beats Methuselah's record, right? And then after the flood, they only reigned for like 900 years. Tisk. Right? And it's as if they're saying they might be exaggerating these things, but there's a point that they're trying to make. Both are using the idea of superhuman lifespans to say that the flood was a major shift in the human drama, that people would stop living such long lives. And who knows why? Maybe disease was rampant. Who knows why? We know that in this region, there was some flood because all these different societies talk about it. And next week, we are going to talk about the flood and, and go into some of these things. But we see that there's a major shift that they're recognizing, and they're using these exaggerated numbers to try and explain how things change. I don't think the numbers are there to tell us how long exactly people lived. I think they're here to try and point us to some big shift taking place. There is also another interesting thing in chapter 5, verse 24, where it says that Enoch walked faithfully with God and he was no more because God took him. Boy, we love a good mystery, don't we? I mean, boy, you could go for miles on this. What is this about? And you can find books written on what this is about. Remember at the beginning, I told you there's going to be a lot of things that come up when we're going to say, what is this? And Genesis is going to just be silent. And this is one of those things, right? Is this, I've heard it's a type of rapture, right? And then it's a type of, you know, uh, pre-resurrection and so on and so on. But it says nothing about these things. It says absolutely nothing. 
It just gives us. Now, maybe they knew who Enoch was. Maybe Enoch was a righteous dude, right? I mean, maybe these are things that stories that they heard and had some resonance with them. But for us, we are so detached from this, we don't have the meaning of it. But it does present questions. Like if Enoch was such a good guy who walked faithfully with God, what happens to original sin with Adam? Why did it not affect Enoch? Or then later on, why does it not affect Melchizedek? And you can find a lot of people who are considered righteous. If this idea of original sin, everyone now is sinful because of they've inherited from Adam. Well, what about this guy? He's okay. God took him. He didn't have to go to Sheol, it doesn't look like. He didn't have to accept Jesus into his life. So what's going on here? I have no answers. I'm just throwing out questions, right? But it makes us think something's going on here we don't have an answer for. Live with it, because that's what we got to. We don't have the answer. And again, remember, mystery's got to be a part of this book, and that's okay to have these things. We're going to end the family line of Seth with the birth of Noah. In verse 29 of chapter 5, he named him Noah and said, He will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Talk about putting some expectations on your kid. This should be sending all sorts of alarms off in our head, right? He is going to reverse the curse of Adam. That's the point of this. Noah is the person who is going to reverse the curse, and this is pointing forward, telling us a story that's going to come. A second Adam, so to speak. But this is no fairy tale. Things are going to get a lot worse before they get better, if they get better. Basically, all hell's about to break loose. And a story is being told to a people who have been to hell and back. A people who have been exiled, taken, ripped from their homes, captive by the Babylonians. The Persians released them, allowed them to go back to their country. They're writing a story and they're saying, who are we? Remember when we had a temple? Remember when we had a king? What is it about us that is still here? Because those are gone. Our law is still here. Remember the stories. Adam and Eve, they did not listen. And look what happened to them, exile. Cain killed his brother Abel. Look what happened to him, exile. But God provided through Seth a line that would provide our father Abraham and Jacob And that is who we are connected to. And so the genealogy in Chronicles will take them back through this line all the way to Adam to help them see you are anchored in this understanding. You are the people of God governed by the law of God that is to keep you in a world that is lawless. Now, there's a lot of stories that we can get from this. And we are a people governed by a new law as Christians. We are to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That we are to 
esteem others more important than ourselves. These are the truths that we are to live by and live into that are to govern us and how we live in a world that is so, seems self-serving. How how do we find our way? What are we gonna navigate through? How do we establish something that is going to hold us through all these things? And it's very similar. There is a governing law that we believe is given by God. Now we believe it through Christ. And it's the law of love that teaches us how we are to interact with one another and in this world that we are to do to others as they would do to us. And we want this to be our definition and our defining. This is our genealogy now. When we partake of communion together, what we are doing is connecting ourselves to this new genealogy that years and years ago, they sat down with Jesus and he broke bread and said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Take, eat it and drink for as often as you do. You remember, you proclaim me until I return. That's our new genealogy we are connected to that we can't forget because it's what's going to help us live through whoever becomes president, whatever happens in the world, whatever things go on, we have something that keeps us, the people of Yahweh. And it is this new law that we see God was doing even to the people back then. Let's pray. Lord, may we step back from these stories and look at them with fresh eyes. May we contemplate how they were embraced at that time, the meanings that were there for them, and try to understand how those meanings can still relate for us today. Lord, I pray you give us understanding and allow us to meditate on these things, to to wrestle with them in our hearts, to ask, what does this mean? What does this have to do with me? How does this affect how I live? And may we be known as people who love one another, your disciples. May that be our law and govern us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. May we understand that the choices we make affect not only us, but everyone around us. And may we have the wisdom to make the choices that lead to life. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. Again, we're going to stick around here for a little bit and have questions and response. I can't say I'll answer your question, but we can respond to them. So you guys are welcome to ask those questions. But thank you guys for joining us online. God bless. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.